0: Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: The following podcast contains explicit language.
0: It's Tuesday, March 1st, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. I have a feeling this is gonna be the last day before the Trump nomination goes from quite likely to, oh God, it's really gonna happen. But don't worry, after the Super Tuesday results today, We will reconvene the Trump anxiety hotline. We'll talk you off the ledge. We will indeed make the case that the Trump nomination will be a cleansing, a colonic for the American body politic. The tube up the bum might be uncomfortable at first, but if you grit your teeth, we'll get through it and you won't believe all the caca that will be cleaned out in the process. Of course, the Democrats also voting. Bernie Sanders voted in Vermont today. And afterward, he said a thing he's been saying for a while. Uh, I am confident that if there is a large voter turnout today across this country, uh, we are going to do well. And if there's not, we're probably going to be struggling. This seems like a point in favor of populism, but really, isn't it just saying that if a lot of people vote for me, then a lot of people will vote for me? I get it. I get the idea that low voter turnout favors entrenched interests, but a different way of saying this is that my supporters are less likely to vote than my opponent's supporters. So if my clearly less dedicated supporters decide to get off their duffs, we might have a chance. I mean, I have tapped into a rage so righteous that a lot of people are feeling that they just might stay home or they might not. Look, there is one way to win an election that's not rigged. You got to get more people to vote for you than for the other candidate. Method one, see who's going to vote. Get a higher percentage of those people. Now, if that's not working, you're going to have to get your votes from somewhere. And there's only one place to get them from. It's the people who are not yet voting. Over on the Republican side, CBS elections expert Peggy Noonan said turnout will teach us a lot. And she said it could answer the question, is the Trump coalition anything like Reagan's? Turnout tonight is expected to be huge on the Republican side. Is that disaffected Republicans who hadn't been voting in a few cycles coming back? Yeah. Or is it in some places, independents and Democrats who are joining in? And are they actually generations past? We are talking about the grandchildren of the Reagan right. Democrats. Right. You know right. I mean? Thank you. Yeah, I got an alternative theory here. In GOP's primaries past, past Super Tuesdays, here's who some of the candidates were. Mitt against Newt. Mid against McCain, little Huckabee thrown in. Now, this time, you got Captain Crazy Pants in the race. Everyone's got an opinion on Captain Crazy Pants. Your Reagan Democrats, your NASCAR moms, your drunk uncles. The circus is in town, and I hear they may be doing away with the elephants. You gotta go now, because it all depends on the turnout. In the spiel, health news, inside Mike's workout, and how the letter X may be dooming Pacific Islanders to a lifetime of corpulence. But first, the candidates who didn't work out in podcast form. Niedermeyer out. Marmalard out. Jeb out. Christy out. You know... If you really want to be on the winning side of booking politicians, you go with the loser. Everyone's chasing the winner. There are so many, many, many more losers. And with this in mind, but also with the interesting insight that we can learn a lot from losing, comes Sam Stein. He, along with his co-host, Jason Cherkis, give us candidate confessional which is about people who've run for office and lost and what have they learned. Sam Stein also covers, he's pretty much the Huffington Post's lead political writer. Is that about right, Sam?
1: I, I want to credit a lot of people at the Huffington Post. I'm one of many.
0: What's your official title there, though?
1: I'm senior politics. Editor.
0: That says lead political writer. <laughs> All right. So candidate confessional. Um, I want to get to some of the specifics. But in general, I know this is what we say interview. Tell me a setback that you learned from. And there is always a way to craft that into a narrative. But do you think it's true? Do you think we learn more from losing than winning? Yeah,
1: I think it's obviously true, and I I, I feel like it, it's just because the losers are much more forthcoming than the winners, right? I mean, they have less to hold back on, so you know they'll tell you their honest thoughts about what went wrong, the missteps they made. But for us, when we did this, the best stuff is sort of the emotional toil that it took. I, you know, we we look at this process as a great show and something to cover, but. You know, as we've done this, I realize these are actually human beings that you know aren't robots. Uh, they have family members. They get hurt when they are the subject of attack ads. Uh, you know, we we kind of forget that as we watch this.
0: I'm all for I'm all for remembering the humanity in all candidates. <laughs> I am, but I also okay, think that whenever I've talked to politicians about losses, they don't deal with it like regular people do, for the most part. There there are the rare exceptions, but to them. It's always, I don't know, maybe I'm overgeneralized, maybe I shouldn't say always, but i will more often than not hear a story of an excuse or, you know, the media wasn't paying enough attention to us or, you know, yeah. at that time we had the right message, but we couldn't break through but for circumstances. And I don't, I literally don't think I've ever talked to a politician who said, clearly my ideas weren't as popular as my <laughs> opponent's.
1: <laughs> or I just really suck. You know?
0: <laughs> well, no, I do yeah, think I mean, there are different things. Yeah, like, I guess yeah. maybe a version. OK, they're saying this now that Jeb's out. It wasn't his time. You know, the mood. But a version of that is what we have to do as politicians is appeal to voters. And I wasn't as appealing to the voters.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, that's true. And it's very rare that uh, we sat down with someone who was just like, you know what? They just didn't like me, and I was just not likable. More often than not, they say, yeah, I ran in a really difficult cycle, and I forgot my home base, and I if I just turned out this county. And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, but you probably are going to lose anyway. What I was talking about about the emotional toil is, you know, they they recount stories about how, you know, on the when they finally find out the news that they've lost, and they have to talk to their, like, son who's been... You know, going across the county and you know, knocking on doors him, and he's, this is a formative political experience and he doesn't understand how someone can re- reject his dad and it's just like yeah. it's soul crushing for them and I just never really conceived of that element of this.
0: Right but then all the candidates it kind of helps to have one loss but not too many but maybe one <laughs> loss in your past. I mean how often did Bill Clinton go to that one rebuke of a, for the governor's race or when Barack lost early for that seat that uh, Eddie Rush? Yeah. Bush? Um, Bobby Rush, but Bobby Rush, Bo- Bobby Bobby Rush. Rush uh, his first won. run for Congress, exactly, yeah. and, and 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 George Bush lost when he was a young kid for what railroad commissioner or
1: somewhere you know, in Texas. Yeah, he, where he lost. He was a never going to be a conservative. That's right, and there. he
0: actually and he actually outperformed. So you talk about that, and you talk about the learning experience, and you talk about dealing with yeah. your kids, but it's a way to craft the overall kind of bullshit persona that, that you. So losing becomes for candidates, I think, just so much more uh, grist for the mill.
1: Yeah, it's a springboard for winning again. And, uh, you know, a lot of them do do incorporate that into their biography very carefully and cleverly. And there was only one person who really was so embittered by the process that he the one person we talked to who who was just like I will never do that again like I am so over and that was a guy named Richard Carmona who ran for a US Senate in uh, Arizona in 2014 and that episode's coming up but he was just like I've never he was just resentful of what happened and he never wants to be part of politics again and he was unambitious about it he's just like I don't want to touch it but most of them were like yeah you know it taught me something and maybe I can be a better candidate going forward and some of them just said yeah I'm going to run again uh, so you're right. There is this whole biographical element to it.
0: Oh, but Richard Carmona used to be Surgeon General, right?
1: Yeah, so so, this so guy, like when you
0: have accomplishments that don't rely on politics, I guess you could say, ah, oh, politics stinks.
1: Oh yeah, and he and it was funny because he had been Surgeon General and sort of apolitical. Uh, no one was really sure where his ideology stood because he was recruited both by Democrats and Republicans to run for certain seats in Arizona: Governor, House, Senate. And when he finally decided to jump into the Senate race, the Republicans who had been recruiting him to run for various seats. Completely turned on him and viciously so and he just was shaken by it and you could hear it in his voice how much it actually Fundamentally hurt him and he was yeah. he was like insulted by it. And so he's like I'm never doing that again
0: Yeah, then again, he lost to, I think my favorite Republican member of Congress Jeff Flake. Jeff Flake. Yeah. yeah So how do you choose your do you go to the people that you think will have the best losing stories? The most typical losing stories <laughs> the biggest name. How do you pick your particular so the brand di- the of difficulty
1: loser? in here? The difficulty here is that um, by fact that you've lost, you are not as well known as the people mm-hmm. who won. And so you got to, we try to find the big name losers and, and start there. So there are some iconic losses, right? Like Howard Dean, for instance, in 2004, that was an iconic loss. And he was our first guest and he was he was great. He talked about the process of being unable to become something he wasn't. He he needed to appeal to the establishment and he couldn't do it. And then we tried to find sort of more thematic guests. So uh, the guest this week is a guy named Ben Knopp. He ran for mayor of Toledo. Uh, and he lost and no one knows who Ben Knapp is except for the fact that in one campaign stop. He was heckled by some guy nearby Mercilessly heckled just went on for three and a half minutes This guy was booing him the entire time and the video was posted and it went on YouTube and some 850,000 people have watched it. He was lampooned on South Park And so we wanted to know what it was like to you know survive the internet. Well, we're here
0: today in Parkwood oh, Avenue for uh this is the street that my uh, mother actually grew up on, down the street.
1: Um, hey, make sure you guys get that camera right
0: there. Yeah. Are you done? No, I'm gonna okay. going to keep it. Okay, all right. Do you, do, has everyone you talked to really thought that they were going to win? Yeah,
1: to a person. <laughs> and some of them, you're like, there's no way you could have won. The the uh, But they still think it. But the, the one who is most forthcoming about it, I think would be Dean. Uh, and, and Dean, there's this whole conception about how he lost and everyone's like, oh, well, he had this incredible scream in Iowa and it was just, you know, he looked like a monster and therefore he lost. But he says, the way he recounts it was that it was three weeks before Iowa, he knew he was not going to win. And he said, what happened was he was going from stop to stop to stop. And he started recognizing faces in the crowd. He said he'd become the Grateful Dead. People were following him. Mm-hmm. It was a show. And he said, at that point, I knew I hadn't expanded my base. I hadn't appealed to anyone who was interested in an establishment figure, and I would remain the insurrectionist candidate who could not win. And so everything else was gravy. The whole scream was inconsequential in respect yeah, in some this, respect.
0: The scream, I think the political knowledgeable political people know that the scream wasn't the cause, it was the symptom. Yeah, I agree. So even though he's a loser, he's a really important political figure, and that probably offers some consolation. As oh, opposed absolutely. to like Michelle Bachman, who could say maybe what? Like it helped her speaking fees.
1: Yeah, there was, there wasn't much for Michelle Bachman to hang her hat on. She won the Iowa straw poll, and then the Iowa straw poll was gone the next yeah, cycle. So there's not like, it's not like hey, I won this thing. What what was interesting about Michelle Bachman was how she talked about being a woman uh, running for president, uh, and there were overt elements of sexism that she had to deal with, and then there were just hurdles that she had to clear because of her gender. Like she she had to make in a course of a day approximately three to four outfit changes. Just because that's what a woman has to do. You can't appear in the same outfit at a campaign stop that you do at a fundraiser. And for men, I, you know, I, I, I barely, you know, I would never change clothes during the course of the day if I didn't have to. So it was, it was very (laughs) interesting to hear. (laughs) Or a week. Yeah. I mean, I'm wearing the same thing I wore last (laughs) Tuesday. So she, she, and and then she said she felt sympathetic to Hillary Clinton uh, because of that. And I thought, you know, there's very few women who've gone through that. Whether you agree with her ideology or not, uh, she did have an important insight into what it's like to run for the highest office being a woman. And you are seeing it right now repeating itself with Hillary Clinton. For instance, you know, she, she's always talked about as screaming when she speaks. That's an incredibly gendered way to look at how Hillary Clinton speaks.
0: Yeah, especially against Bernie Sanders, who just... Who uh, does scream. Volume check, yes. Yeah. yes.
1: <laughs> and then there was another story the other day how she wore a, a yellow suit for some speech and or event. And it was the same yellow suit she had worn uh, when she had given a speech with Lloyd Blankfein nearby. And it was just like, well, you know, p- pointing out that she wore the same suit is not something that would ever happen to a male candidate because they do wear the same suits or yeah. at least same looking suits. And it's just a given. So... Uh, she was insightful in that respect.
0: It also might be interesting to talk to. I mean, you say everyone you talked to thought they had a chance to win. What about the message candidate? What about Ralph Nader? What about someone who is just trying to make a point? And then the subcategory of that is every once in a while, that guy either does win, so that wouldn't f- fulfill your brief yeah begins to think yeah. oh my god this could happen i think maybe bernie sanders it has been suggested is a little like the dog who caught the fire truck like maybe he's uh-huh. going through that but th- that would be a good category to pursue
1: we did interview gary johnson you know gary johnson new uh, former governor of new yes. mexico he ran in 2012 libertarian message candidate you know pure libertarian through and through and it was just like it felt a little bit like we were you know jumping from point to point with no direction yeah much like his campaign i think uh where he he said that the he said that the problem he had for the first month or so was that he was going on internet radio shows where maybe five people were listening he said i'll never do that again i was like yeah you probably were in trouble you <laughs> were spending the first month doing a ton of internet radio shows where no one was listening uh so he had a message uh, but there's a reason that no one heard it
0: <laughs> another interesting category would be the john huntsman type i don't know if lindsey graham but someone is like oh, oh we got we got huntsman oh, coming like, on hey, Senator yeah. I've got I've got a lane here It's like the voters hate yeah. you
1: <laughs> And I kind of am Curious and for Huntsman I am kind of curious uh, What he was told Before he got in, you know, like what's the pitch? Because I know what he was told. I
0: I would assume it's exactly what Kasich was told. And with Kasich, he did well in New Hampshire. And why not? And also, look, I believe in this. I believe the Republican Party needs some moderation, especially not this time around. But uh, four years ago, uh, uh, Huntsman was like, look at these yahoos other than Romney. I, I gotta. Oh, it must I have been painful it. for yeah. him
1: to watch yeah. those. It must have been painful for him to watch, like, Herman Cain and, you know, Michelle Bachman get their taste as, like, the flavor of the month as he, who is, like, you know, <laughs> U.S. ambassador to China. He's been, like, a state governor, a very accomplished family. He's just sort of lingering there and he's like, what the hell is going on? So I am kind of curious, but I do think that every one of these people is told by their consultants, you can win this thing. I mean, otherwise they probably wouldn't, a vast majority of them wouldn't jump in. But with Huntsman and I think with Kasich, I think realistically they must know that they can't, right? I
0: think that, well, no, I think Kasich, I think they're both saying the same thing. It's like, look, I'm a, I'm a governor of Ohio. It's an extremely important yeah. state. And I've <laughs> done the thing, like their pollsters both have come to them and say, oh yeah, people love the idea that you could work across the aisle. Just that Republican yeah. voters don't like that idea. Maybe.
1: Here's the thing, same pollster, yeah. Yeah, same, same consultant. Guy. There's one pollster <laughs> it that is. keeps
0: tricking. Yeah, <laughs> It is though, it's John right. Weaver and That's Fred right. Davis. <laughs> well, one day they'll get a moderate Into into the White House. Sam Stein is senior political reporter for the Huffington Post, and the name of his podcast is Candidate Confessional. Here's to the losers, but not Sam. He's doing his job. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Mike. And now the spiel health news. Can chocolate milk cure concussions? A story you and your family won't want to miss. But first, I was working out today. It was a light day. Yesterday was back and by. Today, gums and lobes, ear lobes, full frontal lobes. Now, you know this. If you've listened to the show, I hired a trainer. uh, That was 10 workouts ago. And so my trainer, she had me doing all these exercises that I just didn't expect to do, like balancing, right? A lot of work with balance and working with balls, you know, and balancing these balls. And then my trainer had me do this thing where I balance a ball and then I clap and then I go back to balancing. And she also worked on my diet, right? She included more fish in the diet and then all the balancing. And then I realized, oh my God, I've hired a SEAL trainer. So I told it to my friend, Elliot, and he said, hey, listen, SEAL's trainer, not bad. I mean, SEAL's in great shape. SEAL married Heidi Klum for a long time, right? Now, to me, that's a little bit crazy. So as you know, if you listen to the show and listen to me complaining on the show, I did hire this trainer, or Rebecca was hired for me. And I i had didn't really have goals, but I went into it with some different ideas about working out. Which gave me an idea about not having goals. So let's say a bunch of people go to work out with trainers and they don't really have definitive goals, but the trainers are hired by assassins and they turn these people into hired assassins that they don't know, but they're training them for special missions. Could go good, could go bad. Anyway, Will Pharrell's attached. So I've been doing a lot of workouts that I didn't, I didn't, there were different ideas from what I had, the ideas I had from working out. And the ideas I had about working out were described by my trainer as muscle man from the 90s ideas. Okay, so it turns out we're working a lot on flexibility. And I found out that I have the flexibility of alabaster or some other gypsum based substance. But now, Rebecca and I have been working, and I now have the flexibility of plaster. I'm hoping to reach talc status. So I was working, at, oh, wait, hold on, concussions. You just might not believe what cures them. New research is out, details to come. Okay, so I was working out, and here are some of the exercises I did today. First, I did these things called V-ups, where you lay on the ground, flat on your back, and you hold your hands up. Your hands are flat on the ground also. They're above your head, and your feet are straight out. And then you reach your hands up, and you reach your feet up, and your hands touch your feet. So your body looks a little like a V, or in my case, a U in the Lucida Bright Demi Bold italic font. I went through all the fonts. That's the shape I most look like. And then I started doing X-ups, which are like a V-up. So you start from that V-up position, but you touch your right hand to your left leg, and back, and then your left hand to your right leg and back. So you get it? You're doing an X, right? You start off from that position popular with Spanish inquisitors who favored the rack, and then you do the left leg to right hand thing, and this is called an X up. So you hold a bar high above your head, which is a tough exercise made palatable only because I could tell Rebecca all the really good puns, like, you're really raising the bar in these exercises, Rebecca, and when I'm done, you can call me F. Lee Bailey because I get to disbar. So that got me through it but I was putting my hands a little too close together and she said, no, make more of a Y. And then it hit me. X-ups, squats holding the bar like a Y. I was then doing curls with the easy bar. How do you communicate these forms of exercises to Hawaiians? Hawaiians only have 12 letters in the alphabet. They don't know from X. They don't know from Y. Or Tongans. Tongans only have 14 letters in the alphabet. No X, no Z, no Y. And you know who the most overweight people on earth are? Tongans. And I think it's because they don't have the necessary letters to describe their workouts. It's thoughts like this that made me wonder, can chocolate milk improve cognitive function among high school football players who've taken hits to the head? The answer is, duh, of course not. And yet... Not a press release last month suggesting that a chocolate milk product called Fifth Quarter Fresh improved cognitive and motor function in high school football players. So there's this news story came a couple months ago out of the University of Maryland or a University of Maryland press release. And the press release was titled concussion related measures improved in high school football players who drank new chocolate milk. University of Maryland study shows So Andrew Holtz of Health News Review looked into it, and right there on the press release, it said that fifth quarter chocolate milk, quote, helped high school football players improve their cognitive and motor function even after experiencing concussions. This could change everything, right? So Holtz started looking at the press release, but he noticed it came out from the university, but there was no actual study to back it up. And then when he looked further, he found that this magic chocolate milk was developed by the University of Maryland, so not just studied, but by the University of Maryland through the Maryland Industrial Partnership Program, which funds research collaborations between outside companies and the University of Maryland. So Andrew Holtz, other members of the media, began asking the PR department, uh, can you in any way back up your chocolate milk claim? And at first they stonewalled, why should we have to tell you? Then they gave news outlets this statement. University spokeswoman Crystal Brown sent in focus the following statement, quote, We have initiated an institutional review of this matter. We reaffirm our institutional commitment to the highest standards of research, peer-reviewed science, and avoidance of any conflict of interest, perceived or real. As science writer Paul Rayburn notes... The university might do better to drop its institutional review of the matter, retract the release, and admit that they made a mistake. Rayburn, who blogs at undark.org and who first alerted me to the case of the Blessed Bosco, is absolutely correct – It is reprehensible that a university would come out, make these claims, have no way to back it up, and then get upset that real journalists were wondering, um, how dare you say that? I also would recommend that different universities, I won't name which ones, but different universities seriously examine their claims that Micheloblite cures diphtheria, and while you're at it, Review once more that non peer reviewed study that strongly suggests that a mixture of Zima and maple syrup has been known to regenerate limbs. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi swears by a concoction of strawberry quick and lime seltzer claiming it cures pleurisy. Slate executive producer Steve Lichtai is often seen swilling a mix of milk of magnesia, vodka, and orange juice. He calls it the Phillips screwdriver and says it counteracts the effects of the Benz. Chief content officer of the Panoply network Andy Bowers slows his roll with the purple drink, but then speeds up his roll to 1.5 speed when he's biking to work. The gist has been known to quaff regurgitated yak milk as an emetic but you know me always with the yak to yak yak. de depu and thanks for listening.